Welcome to QuickLink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news for Tuesday the 30th of March. Don't worry, there's just one day to go before there's more racing on. That'll be Dwarsdor Flandern tomorrow, and we'll take a look at the start list for the men and women's races later on. We've also got GCN and Eurosport commentator Jez Cox coming up with the next edition in our A to Z of Racing Tactics. Now, it's not the biggest story of the day, but we'll lead with it as it follows nicely on from Sunday and Monday shows regarding Nasser Buhani's DQ for elbowing Jakey Stewart into the barriers in Cholet. It's a bit of bad news for Jake and Group Palmer FDJ, as a scan today has found the 21-year-old Brit who was second at Omloop and sixth at Nokera Cursa, and on for a top five on Sunday, he'll miss this weekend's Tour of Flanders with a second metacarpal fracture sustained in that incident on his left hand. In layman's terms, that's the big bone in the hand that becomes your index finger, so while Jake probably won't be able to flick his DI2 shifters or grip the hoods, he can still flip the bird at the massive French bag. Onto the day's leading topic, and here we go, big sigh. It's the doping news. The UCI today reported that a second Vinny Zabu rider in six months has failed a drugs test. 25-year-old Matteo de Bonis, who hasn't raced since the Tour of Luxembourg last September, failed an out-of-competition test on February the 16th for EPO. It follows Matteo Spreafico's positive test for Osterine, an anabolic agent that can reduce muscle wastage while losing weight rapidly in the middle of last year's Giro. Spriafico was subsequently fired by the team and remains provisionally suspended by the UCI. The UCI statement this morning announced that De Bonis has been provisionally suspended and has the right to request analysis of the B sample taken the same day. Should that come back positive, then a four-year ban is the likely outcome for the Italian. The issue for the team, amidst the massive PR fallout, is that this is the second violation in a 12-month period and that should now trigger an automatic team-wide ban lasting between 15 and 45 days. The Giro d'Italia, for which Vinny Zabu have a wildcard invitation, begins in 39 days' time. Now, the UCI aren't tremendously hasty at administering justice due to a number of key factors including due process, legal issues and generally being tardy and incompetent, but it's not looking good for the savviest team on social media. Since the team's inception in 2009, seven riders have now felt the wrath of doping control. I'm sure they'll be dancing in the streets of Androni Giacatoli Sidebeck tonight. Enough of that nonsense, time for something much more wholesome, and it's over to Jez Cox for part H in our A to Z of Racing Tactics. Hello Quick Linkers. Following on from last week's reference to the great Big Mig, I should let you know that you'll be able to catch me alongside Adam Blythe this Saturday as we talk you through the live coverage of the GP Miguel Indurain on Eurosport GCN. Tweet us, by the way, your prediction of a winner with 10k to go and use the at quicklinkpod handle too for a chance to win our hearty congratulations. Onwards to H, and that's H and not H, to be clear, okay? Hotel Mind Games. Now, COVID hasn't changed much about how the pro peloton lives around race venues, save for the newfound pleasure of having a room to yourself rather than having to share. Another thing that won't have changed is the pre-race hotel mind games that go on. I want to take you to an absolutely smoking hot cauldron of mind games that was the official race hotel in Harrogate, Yorkshire, for the 2019 UCI Road World UCI road world championships i was there working all week as the finish line commentator 
and this meant that in the evenings, whilst toiling over reams of start lists and cold Morettis in the main lobby, I had the pleasure of anonymously watching the uncleated comings and goings of the world's finest peloton. Now, as a study of body language and subconscious whisperings, it was absolutely priceless. I only wish I could have covertly filmed some of that, but you get arrested for that kind of thing. And I had meaningless and yet fascinating facts to research about juniors from Uzbekistan who I pray did not get involved in the race the next day for fear I would resyllabize them, syllabalize them, <laughs> resyllabalize them right in the middle of the race. Now, to my observations, which I have to admit did become more fascinating and insightful on a kind of linear increment directly correlating with the moretization of my evening's work, but Nevertheless, it was fascinating. Now, post-race, riders just drift around the lobby, some hollow and vacant from the lovely Yorkshire weather, others just loose and relaxed at a season's end. But pre-race, in the days leading up to it, their behaviour is far more considered and insightful. Ireland's Connor Dunn, for instance, I watched two evenings in a row enter the luxurious lounge area, shuffling slightly in his Irish team tracksuit, looking down, trying mostly not to make eye contact. Of course, he drew his own attention by then performing quite the most incredible folding of his neck and spine in order to get into the lift. The point is, being the tallest man in the pro peloton aside, he didn't really want to be seen or stopped. He presumably would gladly have just screened himself up to his room and bypassed all of that. Yeah, that's one for the 80s kids, which is just me. I know. For others, of course, this is where the tactical nugget starts, by the way, after all my preceding waffle. For others, it's an absolutely golden opportunity to project exactly the message that they want to send to the other riders and their nation's support crew. The Danes, who went on to win the men's elite race with Mads Pedersen right at the end of the week, did the same thing most nights, placing their entire team, women, men, juniors, under 23s, all around the main lift area and dominating it so they couldn't be missed and pretty much couldn't be passed. Now, I witnessed a number of other nations riders actually having to avoid them and wa avoid walking through the Danish throng in order to take the lift and take the stairs, sorry, instead of taking the lift. Now, the night before, those three flights of stairs, sometimes four, that's got to be about five or so watts after 300k the following day. Actually, was Trent in one of them? Hmm. I can't remember. I told you I should have been filming. Some tactics, of course, are less subtle, and in fact, much more deliberate and gloriously nonchalant in their application. Just a matter of weeks before that, I'd been sat in the hotel where I should have been working only, this was at the Tour of Britain. Sat in front of me was a young male British rider who will remain nameless in this instance, but who, safe to say, will be already a very present force in this, his first elite classics campaign. He was sat draped across a large wing-back chair right in front of the main entrance to the hotel, through which every rider and team manager would come. I stopped pretty much in my tracks because this rider, oozing in confidence and rightly so given his elephantine talents, was actually sat in almost exactly the same pose as Bradley Wiggins had struck in his own wingback chair moment in the hot seat of the Olympic TT at London 2012. 
Okay, no victory salute. That would have been ridiculous. But still, at first, I was caught off guard as it looked so deliberate. And yet I actually don't think it was premeditated at all. It could even be that the Olympic reference from a year when the rider in question would have only been about 13 years of age may have been lost on him entirely. But as opposed to strike, right there at the hotel entrance, it was both powerful and cool, as well as being crushingly ominous for those British riders with aspirations of being the next Bradley Wiggins. Look, most of us will never get the chance to play this little entree game of strutting and shuffling, but trust me, it definitely goes on. Like Jez says, you can catch him and Adam Blythe on the mic on Saturday for Gran Premio Miguel Indurain. 203 kilometres of racing out and back from Estella, just southwest of Pamplona in northern Spain. Drop us a tweet with your 123 for the race, and I'll have a route around my kit bricks if anyone gets it spot on. Iane Zagiro, Pierre Latour, Pel Balbao, Richard Carapaz, Teo Gegenhart, Adam Yates, Enrique Mas, and Ruby Costa, all on the provisional start list at time of recording. Tweet us at QuicklinkPod and tweet Jez, Jez Cox, that's J-E-Z-C-O-X. Tomorrow sees the 11th World Tour Race of the Year, Dwarsdor Vlanderen, the 76th edition of the race, which literally translate as Straight Through Flanders. The 184.1km route starts from the KSV Roselaar Football Stadium and heads to Waregem Town Centre through the heart of the Flemish Ardennes. Mathieu van der Poel, winner last time this race was held in 2019, returns to a start line, as does Julien Alaphilippe, though Wout van Aert is skipping this one to focus on Sunday's Tour of Flanders. Bora Hansgrohe and Trek Segafredo likely still out due to the weekend Covid positive tests amidst their camps. Greg van Avermaet and Oliver Nason will lead AG2R, both were strong at E3 and Ghent Wevelgem until the run-in on both races when they were seemingly just happy to join the others staring at rivals until someone pulled the pin and took the wins. There's a lot of fast finishers also present with European champ Giacomo Zola of Quebec. And does anyone ever win in that jersey? There's also Elio Viviani who won on Sunday for Cofidis. Arnold Demar and Stefan Kuhn are there for FTJ. Brian Cockard will likely take 7th place and expect to see Dylan Turns, Hugo Hofstetter, Tim Wellens and Sepp van Mark, who is available again after a bout of the shits. He's there, and I wouldn't overlook David Decker for Jumbo Visma. That's the chaps, time for the chapesses, and they'll tackle 122 kilometres over much of the same route. It's not a world tour race for the women, but the start list does contain some big names ahead of the next women's world tour outing, which is on Sunday. Ellen van Dijk, Lucinda Brand, Lizzie Dynan and Elisa Longo-Borghini are four of Trek Segafredo's riders. Grace Brown and Sarah Roy for Bike Exchange, both who can go long if that's how the race plays out. Annemiek van Vleuten leads Movistar. Soraya Paladin is there for Live Racing after she lit up the break at Ghent Wevelgem on Sunday, as well as fellow Italian Marta Bastinello of Ale BTC. Both races are on GCN from tomorrow lunchtime, and you'll hear from us in the evening. Take care now. Bye. Thanks for listening to QuickLink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news, results, opinion and chat. We'll be back tomorrow with another show, but in the meantime, you can hear all of our previous episodes at quicklinkpod.co.uk and find us across social media at quicklinkpod. If fantasy cycling is your thing, our Velo Games show league code is 57273217. Like and subscribe, rate and review, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye now.